Welcome to Rocco Radio. I'm James Williams and you're listening to Chalk Talk. Today's programme is brought to you from the wonderful city of Malaga in the south of Spain. Rocco Radio is bringing you the fresh news and insights about telecoms, roaming and interconnect as we do in our reports. Over the next 15 minutes or so, we'll be talking to you about what short message service is and its origins. It is no more commonly in its abbreviated form SMS and is also often referred to simply as texting. Without mobile telephone networks and mobile devices, SMS would not be where it is today. So we'll actually have a quick look at the origins of those as well. All pieces of a very interesting and important jigsaw. This is the first in a series of podcasts looking at the wider area of mobile messaging and mobile engagement, a key pillar of which today still is SMS. We aim to help you understand what it's all about, and we'll be looking at the clear benefits on so many levels a coherent mobile engagement strategy brings with it. And this is a topic relevant to all organisations, and indeed every person globally. No matter what size of the organisation, from single-person entities through to conglomerates and government-related organisations employing hundreds of thousands of people, whether for profit or non-profit, all can benefit greatly. In this first episode, we look at how something that was never intended to become the ubiquitous two-way means of communication it has today came into being. And the truth is quite revealing. As with many great inventions, the answer is very simple. Now I will leave you hanging right now as to what the actual answer is. Suffice to say, it has two words. So let's get rolling. We'll start off with a look at what SMS basically is, and a quick peek into the history of mobile phones and indeed the networks that provide services to them. Simply put, short messaging service is a text messaging service component of most telephony and worldwide web systems. One almost always associates SMS with mobile telephony, but don't forget that many fixed-line networks also support SMS. What typically happens if a mobile subscriber were to send an SMS to a fixed-line number is that the fixed-line phone would ring, exactly as if a voice call had been placed to it, and upon answering, the text content would be presented to the receiving party via speech, so text-to-speech. Now that in itself is super interesting. In 1961, Physicist John Larry Kelly Jr. and his colleague Louis Gershman used an IBM 704 computer to synthesize speech, perhaps one of the most prominent events in the history of Bell Labs. Kelly's voice recorder synthesizer, he called it Vocoder, recreated the song Daisy Bell. Now coincidentally, Arthur C. Clarke was visiting his friend and colleague John Pierce at the Bell Labs Murray Hill facility at that time. Clarke was so impressed by the demo that he used it in the climactic scene of his screenplay for his novel 2001 A Space Odyssey, where the HAL 9000 computer sings the same song. Fast forward seven years to 1968, and a chap called Noriko Umeda and colleagues developed the first general English text-to-speech system at the Electrotechnical Laboratory in Japan. Now you'll be hearing a bit more about Japan now. Let's sidestep into that, and indeed the origin of mobile networks as we know them today for a couple of minutes, as it provides some very useful insight and further great background information for us. Before 1973, mobile telephony was limited to phones installed in cars and other vehicles, so real mobile phones. Motorola was the first company to produce a handheld mobile phone. On April 3, 1973, Martin Cooper, 
then a Motorola research and executive, made the first mobile telephone call from handheld subscriber equipment, placing a call to Dr. Joel Engel of Bell Labs, his rival. The prototype handheld phone used by Dr. Cooper weighed 1.1 kilograms, just over 2.4 pounds, and let's just say it was large, 23 centimeters long. The prototype offered a talk time of just 30 minutes and took 10 hours to recharge. Looking at some smartphones today, it's perhaps questionable if we have moved on considerably from there in terms of battery resilience and indeed their overall size, but that's a topic for a different day, James. A chap called John Mitchell, Motorola's then chief of portable communication products and Cooper's boss in 1973, played a key role in advancing the development of handheld mobile telephone equipment. Mitchell successfully pushed Motorola to develop wireless communication products that would be small enough to use anywhere and participated in the design of the cellular phone, so the mobile phone as we know it today. If we look at generations of mobile networks, a lot of talk today is around the area of 5G. This generation terminology only became widely used when 3G was launched commercially on October the 1st, 2001 by NTT Docomo in the Tokyo region in guess where? Japan. It is now, however, used retroactively when referring to the earlier systems. What is now called 1G, so analog cellular, was first deployed by NTT, again in Tokyo, in 1979, later spreading to the whole of Japan, and NMT, Nordic Mobile Telephony, in the Nordic countries in 1981. The rest, as they say, is history. Moving back to the present day, the here and now, a lot of so-called tablets can be enabled with mobile network connectivity, so going forward, it is possibly more accurate encompassing for me to use here the phrase mobile devices. We can therefore say that standardized communication protocols therefore enable SMS on mobile devices. SMS, as used on modern handsets, originated from radio telegraphy in radio memo pages. These protocols were defined in 1985 as part of the Global System for Mobile Communications GSM series of standards. The protocols allowed users to send and receive messages of up to 160 alphanumeric characters to and from GSM mobile handsets. Although most SMS messages are mobile-to-mobile -mobile text messages, support for the service expanded to include other mobile technologies, such as ANSI CDMA networks. The concept, though, clearly came earlier. At this point, I introduce an organisation called CEPT, C-E-P-T, to you, the European Conference of Postal and Telecommunications Administrations. CEPT was originally established in 1959 by 19 countries, but it has since expanded to almost 50 member states, with Central and Eastern European countries having joined. CEPT's main role is to establish a European forum for discussion in the field of post and telecommunications, promoting harmonisation to facilitate interoperability and enable economies of scale to be realised. An action plan of the SEP group was approved in December 1982, requesting that, using their exact words, the services and facilities offered in the public switch telephone networks and public data networks should be available in the mobile system. Now that plan included the exchange of text messages either directly between mobile stations or transmitted via message handling systems in use at that time. Working from that basis, the SMS concept was developed in the Franco-German GSM Corporation in 1984 by Friedhelm Hillebrandt from Deutsche Telekom and Bernhard Gillebert from France Telekom. Of course, GSM is optimised 
for telephony since this was identified as its main application. The key idea for SMS was to use this telephone optimized system and to transport messages on the signaling paths needed to control the telephone traffic during periods when no signaling traffic existed. In this way, unused resources in the system could be used to transport messages at minimal cost. However, it was necessary to limit the length of the messages to 128 bytes, that was later improved to 167-bit characters, so that the messages could fit into the existing signaling formats. Based on his personal observations and analysis of the typical lengths of postcard and telex messages, Hillebrandt argued that 160 characters was sufficient to express most messages succinctly. SMS could be implemented in every mobile station by updating its software. Hence, a large base of SMS-capable terminals and networks existed when people began to use it. A new network element required, though, was something called a Short Message Service Center, SMSC. Enhancements were also subsequently required to the radio capacity and network transport infrastructure to accommodate SMS traffic volumes as they grew. We can see that the technical development of SMS was a multinational collaboration supporting the framework of standards bodies. Thankfully, through these organisations, the technology was made freely available to the whole world. Rather unsurprisingly, given who developed the original concept, the first proposal which initiated the development of SMS was made by a contribution of Germany and France into the GSM group meeting in February 1985 in Oslo. This proposal was further elaborated and the result was approved by the main GSM group in a 1985 document which was distributed to the industry. The input documents on SMS had been prepared by none other than Friedhelm Hillebrandt and Bernard Gillebert. The definition that Friedhelm and Bernard brought into GSM for the provision of a message transmission service of alphanumeric messages to mobile users with acknowledgement capabilities now these last three words, with acknowledgement capabilities, transformed SMS into something much more useful than the prevailing messaging paging that some in GSM might have had in mind. Keep that in mind, with acknowledgement capabilities. So that's two-way. The discussions on the GSM services were concluded in the recommendation GSM 02.03, teleservices supported by a GSM PLMN. Included within this was a basic description of three services. The first one was Short Message Mobile Terminated, otherwise known as SMSMT, so point-to-point, -point, the ability of a network to transmit a short message to a mobile phone. The message can be sent by phone or by a software application. Number two, Short Message Mobile Originated, what we know of as SMSMO, Point-to-point, -point, the ability of a network to transmit a short message sent by a mobile phone. The message can be sent to a phone or a software application. And option three, the third one, short message cell broadcast. The material elaborated in GSM and its WP1 subgroup was handed over in spring 1987 to a new GSM body called IDEG, I-D-E-G, the implementation of Data and Telematic Services Experts Group, which had its kickoff in May 1987 under the chairmanship of, guess who, Friedhelm Hillebrandt. 
the technical standards we know today were largely created by IDEDGE. The next stop on the SMS train was the creation of a drafting group message handling, which was responsible for creating the detailed specification of SMS as we know it today. Finn Trosby of Telenor chaired the draft group through its first three years, in which the design of SMS was established. DGMH had between five and eight participants. The first basic draft of the technical spec was completed in November 1987, with drafts useful for the manufacturers following at a later stage. The work on the draft specification continued in the following years, where Kevin Holly of Cellnet, now Telefonica O2 UK, played a leading role. Besides the completion of the main specification GSM 03.40, the detailed protocol specifications on the system interfaces also need to be completed. The mobile application part MAP of the SS7 protocol included support for the transport of short messages through the core network from its inception. MAP Phase 2 expanded support for SMS by introducing a separate operation code for mobile terminated short message transport, and that was critical. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we move to the time when everything came to fruition, and the year 1992. The first SMS was sent over the Vodafone GSM network in the United Kingdom on December the 3rd, 1992, from Neil Papworth of Semmer Group, now Mavenir Systems, using a personal computer, to Richard Jarvis of Vodafone, using an Orbital 901 handset. The message was simply Merry Christmas. But hang on a second, sent using a personal computer? Yep. No mobile phones at that time had a keypad alphabet layout. The most common keypad alphabet layout out there is actually called E.161. And almost all of the mobile devices we're using today still have this. The first commercial deployment of a short message service center, SMSC, was by Aldiscon, part of what was Logica. They implemented this in Telia, now Telesonera, in Sweden back in 1993. Next up came Fleetcall, that went on to become Nextel in the USA, Telenor in Norway, and BT Cellnet, what we heard was now Telefonica O2 UK, later in 1993. It's useful to note that these installations of SMS gateways were for network notification sent to mobile phones, usually to inform of voicemail messages. So one way. The first commercially sold SMS service was offered to consumers as a two-way person-to-person text message service by Radio Linea Nowalisa in Finland in 1993. Most early GSM mobile phone handsets did not support the ability to send SMS text messages and Nokia was the only handset manufacturer whose GSM phone line fully supported user origination of SMS and this was again 1993. The first mobile phone that made composing SMS easy was the Nokia 2010, which was released in January 1994. My favourite mobile phone ever was the Nokia 6310i, an amazing phone. The battery life was stellar. I digress. Back to it, Mr Williams. The initial uptake of SMS was low, with subscribers in 1995 sending on average only 0.4 of a message per month each. One factor in the slow growth of SMS was that operators were not the fastest in setting up charging systems, especially for prepaid subscribers and therefore eliminating billing fraud. I remember clearly, now showing my age here again, 
when it was possible to bypass charging by changing the SMS service center address on individual handsets to use the SMSCs of other operators. Not, not that I ever did that of myself, of course. Fine, upstanding citizen I am. Initially, networks in the UK, where I come from, which arguably has one of the most developed SMS markets in the world, only allowed customers to send messages to other users on the same network, thus clearly limiting the usefulness of the service. This restriction was lifted in 1999. Over time, the issue of billing fraud was reduced by billing at the switch rather than the SMSC. New features within SMSCs allowed the blocking of foreign mobile users sending messages through it. By the end of the year 2000, the average number of messages reached 35 per subscriber per month in the UK. SMS had well and truly arrived. So, going back to the beginning of this episode, I asked how SMS became as ubiquitous as it is today, and the two-word answer I was looking for is simply, by accident. It was never intended from the get-go to be a two-way means of communication, but once the average person on the street had a suitable device, which made the creation of text messages easy, until, that is, the arrival of the so-called over-the-top OTT players, the likes of Viber, Facebook, etc. Person-to-person, P2P SMS volumes have been on the decline in many countries globally since consumers have started using OTT channels more. In 2016, the total volume of application-to-person SMS sent globally outstripped that of person-to-person SMS for the first time and this trend will continue. There are two main uses of ATP SMS, for marketing purposes and for transactional notifications. As we will see in later episodes, ATP SMS is increasingly taking on the two-way characteristics of what P2P SMS developed into. ATP SMS as a channel allows organizations to have conversations with their customers, and indeed, an often forgotten area, their own internal stakeholders. Rich communication suite, often referred to as SMS 2.0, has now surfaced as well. Combined intelligently with other channels into a mobile engagement experience, SMS continues to play a key role. The returns for any organization in investing in SMS and mobile engagement in general far outstrip any investment costs, and we are here to help you realize and maximize these fantastic returns. Rocco has developed several interesting reports in the areas of A to P SMS and mobile engagement, including A to P SMS vendor performance, SMS firewall vendor performance, and market intelligent reports. We also delivered an A to P SMS and mobile engagement report this year. In our next episode, we turn our attention to application to person SMS, A to P SMS specifically. We'll be looking at what application to person SMS is, what it's used for, how appropriate timing of the sending of content and having clean channels play important roles in its uptake, as well as why we continue to see growth in volumes globally, even though many new channels have gained traction. Until next time, this is James Williams, and you've been listening to Chalk Talk from Radio Rocco.